Okay, this is the review for the Psychology 201 Exam 3, which covers chapters 9, 10, and 12. We did not cover chapter 11, so that's not something you need to worry about or read. Um, I'm going to go through each of the things on the review sheet in order and tell you what you need to know about them. And that should get you in the right direction for your studying, okay? On the first one, chapter 9, Vygotsky, that is a theorist right? And he studied zone of proximal development. Basically, the difference between what a kid can do on their own and what a kid can do with help. And he felt that zone was where the most development could happen for a child, okay? Number two, Piaget, he had a um, cognitive stage theory that went all the way through to about age 12 as far as cognitive development. And that was what he was interested in. He was a student of Freud, but was not interested in kind of that direction. He went in the more cognitive direction. Okay, Lawrence Kohlberg, number three, he did a moral development stage theory. Okay, there were three stages of moral development. Make sure you kind of know what those are. Um, Number four, you need to know the definition of a zygote that's going to be in the development chapter where it talks about fetuses and little babies. Um, Number five, fetus viability. That just means how old does a baby have to be before they're most likely going to live if the woman gives birth at that point. Number six, fine motor skills. Fine motor skills are things like picking up your keys or opening a lock, something you can kind of do that's a little more sensitive in terms of what you do motor-wise. Number seven, the grasping reflex is kind of a big reflex where you close your palm, okay? Know when children do that, okay? Since it's a reflex, it does happen automatically. Number eight, the amygdala is very important in emotional development, so be sure to kind of review that part of the chapter. Number nine, teratogen effects. These are things that can damage a fetus in utero, so while you're still pregnant. Things like nicotine or alcohol, okay? Now, there does seem to be certain sensitive periods where, for example, if a mother drinks during that period, they're more likely to have damage to the fetus. Kind of keep that in mind. But of course, during the entire pregnancy, you generally want to avoid all of these things. Number 10, regression. This is something that Freud talked about. Basically, the idea that when children kind of want to have their autonomy, sometimes they'll do something called regression when it's not working for them. So they're trying to be an adult, they're trying to do their adulting, and it's not working, so they kind of revert back to being a child, and that's regression. Okay, 11, Eric Erickson's theory. He had his own stage theory of development. And it was a social development stage theory, okay? His went all the way to adulthood, where he had different stages that were like autonomy versus shame and doubt, or secure attachment without attachment, etc. Make sure you kind of know what those are. Number 12, Piaget's stages. I've already talked about that. Those are the, the four stages of cognitive development. Make sure you kind of know what those are and what happens during them, Okay. Um, Number 13, signs of attachment. Kids that are attached tend to do different behaviors than kids are not. And while about 75% of kids do form a secure attachment, 
what you see is they are a little anxious around strangers, but eventually get over it. And then they also are a little anxious when their parents leave, but again, calm down relatively soon. Okay. Um, number 14, parenting style research. This is something you'll want to look up in the book. There's different parenting styles and kind of understand what the outcome of each is and what it predicts in terms of children. Okay, number 15 is grief and bereavement. Kind of know the definitions of those and understand what they are. Also, one thing you'll want to know for the test is there are a few questions regarding the podcast or the in-person lectures that were given, depending on what class you're in. So if I assigned you the podcast on death and dying, make sure you listen to that. If you saw it in person, you're good. Um, same thing on the one Dr. Adig did, which was on meditation, okay? There will be a question on that. There will also be a question on the podcast I assigned about the Stanford Prison Experiment. So make sure you listen to that, okay? And make sure you read the article that I assigned as well, okay? So you'll have at least one question from all of those. It will help you kind of with your other test requirements as well, okay? Moving on to chapter 10, Zimbardo's prison experiment. I know we talked about this a ton, but just basically know how it worked and what they did per the book. Of course, the book doesn't have any sort of updates in terms of what has happened since then, but know that. Number two, Ash in conformity. He's the one that did the line experiment and basically saw if someone would conform with other people in a group if they made a judgment wrong, even though they knew they were wrong. And what he found was that as long as there were three Confederates that were go against you or go with you, you are more likely to be persuaded that way. So three people is kind of what you need. Okay. Um, number three, replication of Milgram's experiment. They did try to replicate Milgram's experiment, but were never able to get the same results. And there's a lot of reasons that might happen. The book talks about a few of them. Number four and five, the actor-observer bias and the fundamental attribution error are the same thing. Okay, so the fundamental attribution error is what's basically known as, um, which is the idea that we're more likely to attribute our behavior to environmental things. Like, I did bad on the test because the test wasn't fair. The teacher did a bad job on it. It didn't measure what we learned in class. And you might then, of course, attribute someone else doing bad on the test because they're dumb, right? Or they're not that smart, or they didn't study, or they don't have that drive. Um, those are more internal things. So you over-attribute internal things to people that aren't you, but you also over-attribute external things to behavior for yourself, okay? So it's not your fault because of external things, but is their fault because of internal things, okay? And that's the fundamental attribution error as well as the actor-observer bias. <clears throat> okay, number six, cognitive dissonance is basically when you have a difference between your belief and your behavior, okay? So for example, if you don't believe in, say, sex before marriage, if, you know, you move in with your boyfriend and you're living there and that's your belief, you might have cognitive dissonance. It's basically a feeling of kind of uncomfortableness. And there's a couple of ways to settle that, okay? The first being you change your behavior, right? And as I talked about in class, changing behavior is really hard, okay? Um, but a lot of times people will change their beliefs more than they will change their behavior, 
which doesn't seem like it is what it should be, but it is. People do it all the time and say, oh, well, you know, this is actually okay. Um, I'm not doing anything wrong. And that kind of gets rid of the problem of cognitive dissonance, okay? Um, number seven, in-group bias. Basically, any group that you're in, you're more likely to be biased towards them, okay? So like your family members, your friends, um, you're basically going to prefer them over other people no matter what, okay? So people that live in the same place as you, people that live in the same state as you, all that sort of stuff, you definitely need to know, okay? Um, Marty Siegelman's research, be sure and look that up and just kind of know what he found, okay? Um, that's in chapter 10. Number nine, the bystander effect we talked about in class. Basically, you don't help in a situation because you believe someone else will do it, okay? And also, a lot of times, people don't help because they don't realize that they can help or need to help in a situation, okay? Number 10, compliance. So basically, doing things because you're told. And number 11, obedience kind of go together. Um, in the research with Milgram, people complied to giving shocks to people, right? The research predicted, or at least I would say general psychology students thought that about 35% of people would go all the way on the shocks, right? And it turned out to be more like 65%. That's basically complying with someone because they're an authority figure. Obedience was studied more theoretically, at least in Zimbardo's experiment. Um, will people be obedient to an authority figure? And the uh, questions on that are a little more interesting with the research, but just kind of know what that is. Um, it's the idea that obedience or compliance can be a problem compared to something that keeps together a stable society. Number 12, social facilitation is basically that you do something better when someone's watching, okay, like playing a sport. Um, 13, social loafing is kind of the opposite. When you have a group, you're less likely to do a ton of work or you're likely to think someone else will do it. So you don't do as much. We've all been in a group like that. Number 14, groupthink is basically when a group kind of cuts themselves off and doesn't consider all options and tend to make bad decisions together because they don't look outside what's going on in that group. The book talks about how this happened a little bit with the space shuttle Challenger. They were in a big hurry to launch. And even though they had someone that was saying there was going to be a problem and the space shuttle might actually explode, they decided to go ahead and launch anyway. And it was because of partially groupthink. Okay, so kind of keep that in mind. Number 15, social psychology. That's just the definition. So make sure you know what that is, basically studying people in groups and how they act around other people. Okay, number 16 is discrimination. So stereotypes is when you kind of put someone in a group. Discrimination is when you treat them differently because they're in that group. Okay, so treating two people differently. Like if I were to assume that when males in the class missed something on a test, it was just because they were distracted, but females missed something in class because they just didn't know the material as well and they're not as good at psychology. That, that would be discrimination, okay? Treating that differently, okay? Now, chapter 12, 
Number one is primary and secondary appraisals. The primary appraisal is of the stress situation. You know, is this something that applies to me? And the secondary appraisal is if it applies to me, how do I deal with it? What kind of resources do I need to deal with it? Number two, the general adaptation syndrome, the, the gas syndrome for um, stressors. You know, the first stage is the alarm stage. And that's basically when your sympathetic nervous system kicks in, okay, and gears you up to deal with the stressor. The, the second stage is the resistant stage, which is where you're dealing with the stressor for the time it needs to be dealt with. And then the last stage is going to be exhaustion when you just have run out of resources and can no longer deal with that stressor anymore, okay? Um, number three, the sympathetic nervous system. You just need to know how that works in terms of a stress response. That's going to be that fight or flight response, okay? Um, number four, meditation. There's a whole podcast for you guys to listen to on that if you didn't see it in person. And basically, we know that meditation helps kind of lower your heart rate and lower your stress rate and thus is good for you. Number five, conflict. You just need to kind of know what the definition is which is basically when you're disagreeing with someone and it elevates to an emotional sort of clashing of, I guess, two enemies in a way. Um, the Holmes and Ray research is going to be the research on how different stressors affect you and your health, okay? So if you're more likely to have, say, a cardiac-related event after you know a family member dies or after a spouse dies and they basically found that a certain percentage of people would be more likely to have these sort of events. So be sure and know that. Number seven, catastrophe. Know what the definition of that is. There's like four different types of stressors and that's one of them. Number eight, what is stress, right? There, there's basically two types of stress, which are good stress and bad stress. Um, know what those are with the definitions. And then number nine, the male and female response to stress tend to be very different. Uh, the male response to stress is a little more fight or flight. The, the female response to stress is going to be something called tend and befriend. And when you read through the book, that will kind of make sense to you. Um, that's what I have in terms of your review sheet. If you have any questions, let me know and I will happily answer them. Thanks and have a great day.